I'm Jason Klom. Gaziza. I'm Alan Rickards. Your last name is Rickard? And we are the hosts of Dispatches from Fort Awesome, a news radio podcast. Oh, hi, I'm Jason Klom. Gaziza. I'm Alan Rickard. And this is Dispatches from Fort Awesome, a news radio podcast. This week. We're not talking about one particular episode. We are, of course, talking about the entire series of Boston Common. Thank you so much for being here. <laughs> I had to do one. I had to pick one show that wasn't the show that we're talking about. I would have picked, you know, Seinfeld's the obvious choice. News radio. First of all, you directed the bulk of the series. Number one. Uh, how did you get involved with the show? Because everybody does pretty much credit you with saving it. So, it, creatively. So, well, um, I did a couple of episodes uh, just in a rotation with Jimmy Burroughs and a bunch of other guys mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Paul seemed to like me I guess mm-hmm. anyway he called Jerry uh, I had worked five years on Seinfeld and, and then I had done Ellen for a year um, he called Jerry and asked about me and he said oh he's good but but he can be scary <laughs> 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 Because I used to yell a lot okay. when I had to. Sure. And, and uh, Paul said, I need scary. So he hired oh. me. And, All right. And he kept me. Is it because he had this just group of, of, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but this group of egos that he knew needed Misfits. to be tamed? <laughs> well, there were one or two, perhaps, uh-huh. that, okay. that needed to be controlled. Uh-huh. But uh, I credit Phil Hartman with helping me deal with the the uh, childish problem we had from time to uh-huh. time with uh-huh. one of our cats. Uh-huh. It's, and so he, he had the natural ability and taught you how. He was a father figure. Yeah, I get that. He also had a mm-hmm. Bentley. Nice automobile. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you got to listen to a guy with a Bentley. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> I, you know, what's so funny is it's so hard to get a... I just finished his the recent biography of his, and I don't know if you read it or... I feel like, did they interview you for it? I cannot remember now off the top of my head. No. Okay, okay, because I didn't think so. I thought maybe a couple of writers from the show. And I, I can't get a handle on Phil Hartman, and I feel like that's kind of the trick. I think nobody could, but I don't know. What was your impression working with him, if we could start oh, there? I liked him a lot. We used to walk over to lunch together and chat a bit, or, and you know, and I, he was a terrific person. Yeah. I, I thought he was uh, first class. Yeah. I, I, lo- I just love so much reading about just when, like you said, people just turning to him for everything they needed because he, do- he was a veteran of the, of the business. Big help to me. Yeah. I love that so much. Yeah, uh, and I know all, I, all the all the writers and everyone we've interviewed before said they just knew it didn't matter if the line was even that good. They could just give it to him and he would make it he funny. He would make it funny. Well, I mean, he's been called the glue by people on more than one show. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Uh, he was... As I said, a big help to me in dealing with some, you know, problems. Yeah. <laughs> 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 
So you hop on board. I'm just realizing since you hopped on board on station sale, which is one. It's so funny. Like if you listen to the commentary, some people are love when the show has heart. Some people don't. What's what? What's your feeling? What's at the core of the show? And do you like when it has heart? Well, heart. I guess I wasn't much used to heart on Seinfeld, was I? Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> it was pretty funny, though. Sure. Yeah, funny. And, and and I thought news radio was funny, and yes, there were there were some warmer mo- moments. Uh, I'm not sure which I liked better. I, I liked mean, funny good. Yeah, yeah, and that's fine. And that, that's I think that's what's. What is the difference in terms of working on TV versus working on film? I mean, it just seems like some people love a director who steps back, but I also think sometimes actors perceive you as stepping back when you're doing more than they realize. So I'm just curious, like, what's your level of involvement at different stages in a show, especially like this, with that well, many Well, it depends. You know, you get the regular cast on a show, and they are pretty much more informed about their characters than a director, even though, as in Seinfeld and this one, I was there most of the time after I started. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you just kind of wrangle them, Mm -hmm. you know? And and as a TV director, it's a writer's medium. Mm -hmm. And I tried to do what the writers intended. Mm -hmm. Unlike feature films where I was talking to Joseph Heller one time. He had just gotten back from Mexico where they were shooting Catch-22. He said, I left the next day because I could tell they didn't want me around. Really? Wow. Wow. But Larry David and and, uh, that, that crowd of writers on Seinfeld and and the writers on news radio were in charge. Yeah. You know, and I just wanted to follow what they wanted yeah. because they're the ones that make the funny. Sure. Mm-hmm. You should sure. write the words. Yeah. The actors say the words mm-hmm. and I ask the actors to say them one way or another or most of the time just leave them alone. They know what to do. Sure. I, I can see that because I, I think because I, I went to film school for better or for worse and uh, <laughs> sorry the last time Joe Fury was on and we both kind of bonded about having gone to film school for no reason and uh, I went to graduate school in film school because mm-hmm. I never had a course in any of that yeah I just happened to get a job at the public television station when oh. I started to college it's crazy oh. I, I love that that's where it started though how do you how do you then how do you jump up the chain in a case like that? Well, I had for five or six years before I got to college, through high school, worked at a supermarket. Mm -hmm. I was a bag boy, and finally I was a checker. And when I went to college, I said, boy, I'd like to have a job on campus. Mm -hmm. So I got a job at the, what we called then, educational television station Mm -hmm. at the University of Alabama. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I had a cut in salary. I, I went from 75 cents an hour at the grocery store to 40 cents an hour. Ugh, all right. But the uh, tuition was $90 a semester. Mm-hmm. So I could afford it. All right. Okay. On 40 cents an hour. Mm-hmm. But I learned every job in a television session. We didn't have recorders, That's we had awesome. a kinescope machine because mm-hmm. we did. There was no tape or anything around in 1957 when mm-hmm. I started. 
It was live. Everything was live television. Yeah. And by 1958, by the next year, I was directing a live television show, a half-hour show, wow. five days a week. Holy wow. cow. Wow. It's amazing. So that's pretty good yeah. training. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and, and I moved to New Mexico for my junior and senior year. I got a job immediately at the public television station in New Mexico because I... In 1959, I was one of a few people with experience. Yeah, yeah. And two years, I was a director. Man. And so, and I got uh, a raise to a dollar and a quarter an hour. Not bad. I had to pay out-of-state out tuition. Oh, sure. It was $219 a semester. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. <laughs> but I could still afford college. It's awful these days, I think, what oh, the yeah. kids are going through. For sure. You're not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that's how I got my training. And then after the Navy, I was drafted. We were still drafted in those days. Mm -hmm. uh, after f almost four years as a naval officer, I went to work at a public television station in Arizona, in, in uh, Phoenix area, and for a year. And then I decided, why not get some college training? So I went to film school back at the University of Alabama and uh, got a master's degree. See, so it actually paid off for somebody. That's good. Okay, see, there well, we go. <laughs> I was more teaching than learning. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> crazy to me. What was your first job in Hollywood then? My first job in Hollywood was as a production manager. They call them unit managers, so they, they would be management and they wouldn't have to pay them overtime. Okay. <laughs> I was a unit manager uh, at ABC Network. Uh, and uh, I, uh, my, I, I was assigned first to uh, General Hospital, mm -hmm. and then to Welcome Back Cotter. I remember hearing that, yeah. And and Jimmy Comack became friends with me. He was the creator and owner of that show, mm -hmm. and he hired me as a producer. And I left ABC and produced some pilots and a series for Jimmy, and then stayed on in comedy. That's crazy. Were, were you cool. Were you happy to get out of the soaps to go into the comedy world? Well... My job was pretty much the same on whatever kind of show it was. But, yes, mm -hmm. I enjoyed working with that group of actors. Mm -hmm. I didn't get involved much with the soap actors because they had to come to work at 530 in the morning. Mm -hmm. And, they, you know, they, oh. they worked every day. It was a hard job for them. But, you know, with the rehearsal week and all that stuff, I had some time with Travolta and, and the other people in the cast. So so that was more fun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, I liked the comedy style, mm -hmm. and uh, that's where I stayed. By the time you got to news radio, what, do you have like a perspective on who you were as a director compared to when you started out? Well, when I got to news radio, uh, I had directed, uh, produced and directed a show with Mary Tyler Moore mm -hmm. called Annie McGuire. It was wow. her last uh, series. Okay. Then I went to Seinfeld about the time of my 50th birthday in 1989. Mm -hmm. So I'd had some experience. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I'd done a bunch of films earlier for the National Geographic Society, uh, dramas about the American Revolution. Wow. The series they were doing, 12 of them. Uh, so I had a broad range of experience, and by the time I got through with Seinfeld and through with Ellen's show, I did a one season on Ellen's mm -hmm. sitcom, mm -hmm. and got to news radio, uh, 
I was ready for most anything. Yeah. And then I met Andy Dick. (laughs) 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 And and I learned a bit more. (laughs) You're not the only one with that sentiment, I'm sure. No, no, no. What's Andy was a good guy. He's just very different. He was different, Uh but he was always funny. Okay, it was always funny. What's your first memory of working on this show? Do you have any like a particular like first? I immediately sensed that Paul Sims was a really good guy because he had respect for every level of the group, mm-hmm. all the actors, and not everybody treats actors with respect like he did. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think of them as meat puppets. You yeah. Know? Mm-hmm. yeah. And, and I don't think that's fair. And Paul was respectful of the writers, the crew, and me, and everybody else. And I enjoyed working for Paul perhaps more than anyone else yeah. because of that. Yeah. So he set a really good atmosphere. I thought. Does it give you also this new appreciation? I mean, you obviously, when you appreciate that somebody appreciates the actors, does it then give you a new appreciation just for the whole environment? Yes. Yeah. It does. I can see that. Because sometimes you're fighting against the uh, head writer or the executive producer that doesn't respect the actors. Mm -hmm. You know, and that wasn't the case on on Seinfeld, I mean, you know, because he was one of them. Yeah, and, you know, yeah, yeah. He and Larry David shared an office, and that's sure. where we met all the time for casting and meetings and stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, that was a particular situation. But, uh, and, and they were all both, had both been stand-ups, so they knew the stage and all that stuff. So they treated actors fine, but Paul's respect was uh, more than I had seen anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Where do you think it comes from? If, I mean, I know it's completely going to be conjecture on your part, but I don't know. Maybe just because he's a respectful individual. Yeah, could be that simple. Could be as simple as that. Paul, when you come on the show, I'll ask you the same question. You if you come on the show, it's, well, uh, have you been in touch with Paul uh, since? Or uh, n- only that I got a letter from him uh, earlier this year. Oh, okay. just saying hi. You know he. He's in New York, and, mm-hmm. and uh, his series Atlanta that uh, he's working on is yeah. doing very well. Oh, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I have not been in touch with him much. I used to call Stephen Root every now and then, give him a piece of shit about the football <laughs> game between Florida and Alabama. Uh, of he was a University of Florida guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an Alabama boy, so what are you going to do? Did you? Well, I know, uh, uh, ladies' man, you got to work with him again, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how did how did you get? Just kind of curious how you got uh, hooked up with that. Was it just because? Uh, one of the producers, Bob Heath, a friend, Pittsburgh guy, a friend of mine. I worked in Pittsburgh for a number of years in public television. Okay. And Heath was producing it. Or right, so it just was a coincidence to work with Stephen Root again. Yeah, it was a coincidence. Oh, that's it's a fun coincidence. Yeah, I, I like so. that. Uh, do. You, <laughs> I mean, this is the the basis question, but I think it's one that people are going to want me to ask early. Do you have a favorite episode of the show? Oh, it's like my children. Yeah. I say, (laughs) you know, I can't say I like my son and my daughter better than the other. (laughs) You know, Uh, they they all had their pluses, I thought. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, 
I enjoyed the one George Lindsay was on. I enjoyed the Jimmy Conn one. I enjoyed the the one Lauren Graham was on. The, the what was it? B the B, Plan B. Andrew Plan B. Plan B. Yeah. <laughs> Titanic was kind of fun. Oh, <laughs> man. Was Amazing. Fun. What was it like <laughs> making it? I mean, that's that's an early attempt to just do this cinematic TV thing that everybody's doing. I mean, it's not. It's People are acting like it came up uh, at the time of Community, but, you know, uh, News Radio did it pretty early. Oh, yeah. Community yeah. wouldn't be the same without News Radio. Well, we did a, uh, on Seinfeld, remember, uh, maybe you remember, maybe you don't, we did a, an episode with the uh, Kennedy assassination. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. I'd so. <laughs> forgotten it, but I love that. Uh, it wasn't as as big as the Titanic. Sure, sure. <laughs> it's got to be. It's just weird to me because I mean, now they have the advantage they can do as a one camera shoot. But you're doing a three camera sitcom, but also trying to make it cinematic. What's how do you do that at all? Well, you stage it. So you can shoot it as if it were a single camera. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, where would I put the camera for this scene? And you stage it so you can get it where you would put it four times because you had four. I had four cameras mm-hmm. On, mm-hmm. on that show, and so and it was hard with that big a cast to, sitting around that t- table. Mm. So I had the table recut as kind of a triangle. Oh, yes, right, yeah. yeah. So that it, it would spread them out, you know, the little end was at the far end so that you could see them. Mm-hmm. Smart. With the the wide shot. Otherwise, you can't. I no, mean, yeah. they're all mm-hmm. close together. Yeah, some so of those early episodes, it's hard to see what's going on. But anyway, with that many people in a cast, it's hard to do some scenes, but mm-hmm. uh, but you stage a, uh, stage a, a scene as if you were going to do a, with one camera mm-hmm. so that you can do it with four from those angles. And uh, that's the way I thought that about sounds it. sounds complicated. It isn't. No? You just have to tell the actor where to go. Yeah. Huh. Go here, not there. <laughs> and they will. Yeah. They yeah. will do that. <laughs> Except for Andy Dick. No, well, <laughs> yeah, well, you mm. always... <laughs> There's <Andy>. always one. <laughs> Did you have to shoot the water stuff in a separate... Did you set up the sets elsewhere? For the which one? For in the Titanic episode, because at one point the so the rooms were filling up with water. Did you? How'd you do them? How'd you do that? I don't even remember. Don't remember. <laughs> That's fine. No, it must have been easy. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> sure. Yeah, we probably made it easy some way. <laughs> There, maybe there was somebody that's like, oh, no, I know how, exactly how to do this. I got you. <laughs> I, I may have known at the time. Uh, uh, yeah. Oh, go I, ahead. I, no. I was going to say, I know uh, now the episodes are all like your children. You can't pick a favorite, but uh, do you have a favorite character on the show? Not not necessarily actor, but just character on the actual show. Uh, well, gee. They were all pretty good characters. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't know. Uh, was there? Uh, well, maybe. Well, David Dave Foley's character was kind of good because he was kind of the boss. Mm-hmm. I liked the boss, didn't I? That's reasonable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love how dry his character's sense of humor is. I mean, it's pretty much Dave Foley's sense of humor. Yeah. It seems like, but. Yeah. Dave was an amazing guy. You could give him the script, and nobody had seen it. He could read it once and know everybody's line. I 
don't get that. Photographic memory. memory, I guess. It's very rare, but it's something that happens. I yeah. mean, is that what gave him the skill to rewrite kind of on the, on the spot? I'm bet. sure. Yeah. You know, if he knows everything, he can change <laughs> some things. But, you know, uh, the actors were allowed to make suggestions and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, How about yourself? Did you make any, like... Line word thing? Uh, Hartman and I did a, a couple of times. We, I'd say, what about this? And he was really a good writer, too. Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, I like that. And he will do that. And we just do it, and nobody ever complained. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it wasn't often. Right. I didn't want to mess with the scripts. They were yeah. pretty good. I get <laughs> that. I mean, that's a nice environment, too, where nobody's nobody's going to get in a pissing contest with you if you just, like, make a suggestion that works. Like, mm-hmm. as long as it serves the, the overall project, yeah. that's that's kind of good. Yeah. Uh, it was very minor stuff, and it, it, I don't think it bothered anybody or even if they even noticed, mm-hmm. you know. So. Well, what's funny is the stuff that stands out to us when we have writers come on the show and they're like, that that's the line that stands out to you. When it's like to them, maybe a throwaway or like one that they didn't they didn't write that way in mm-hmm. the beginning or anything. Uh, are there any episodes that changed over your directing of them or like so either as a result of or just so significantly while you were working on it, like from the beginning of the shoot night to the end of the shoot night or any like significant changes? I don't. I've never worked on a show like that, so I don't know. Uh, I don't recall. We generally, had, the writers had generally all had all of that worked out by the time, you know, they got three days to see the rehearsals sure. and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then a, actually a fourth day when we block it with the cameras. So there weren't very many changes, and it didn't take us long. I mean, you know, we we did, we did were done mostly by 10 o'clock any, any given shoot night. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, it just went very smoothly. Everybody Even knew their changes. words and where they're supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> Even getting changes was like just something you're used to, I assume, working on TV. Yeah, long. Was, yeah, that was no problem. And there weren't very huge changes ever. And it's harder for actors than it is for me. Mm-hmm. They, they can just stay where they were supposed to be and say them. Right, Say right. the words. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in regards to uh, like on Seinfeld, you did eighty episodes or eighty one episodes or eighty six? Eighty one. Eighty one. Yeah, okay. I produced eighty six and directed eighty one. Oh, there you go. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> good. And then uh, yeah, and then News Radio 50, uh, 56, correct? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. something like that. Uh, so at what point do you know like when when how many episodes are going in, you're like, Oh, I I'm I'm definitely part of this family now, like I'm 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 in it. I I always felt, even though I was just doing one or two episodes of something, felt like I was part of it. So mm-hmm. that didn't take me long okay, to great. feel comfortable with the people. Uh, I seem to feel comfortable with you guys. I'll take mm-hmm. it. So How's that? Can we How's sell this happen? as a show? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. If I if I had a recliner, I would recline back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but you'd be too far away from your microphone. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Be very quiet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> uh, I feel like maybe the best place for me to start in terms of since you, do, I respect you not picking a favorite. That's absolutely fine. But I have a favorite, and you directed it, luckily, so that works out. Uh, and it's a script that I brought because I may ask you to sign it if you don't hate me by the end of this. But it's arcade. <laughs> it's the sandwich machine episode, which is my favorite thing of all. And it also has the arcade machine. It in also it. has the arcade yeah. machine. 
that whole episode is one of my favorite things of all time. Do you have any stories about it? Uh, again, I don't know if it's if, if that's the place to start. Ask you if you got any stories or if you have any specific memories about working on it. I, I got no stories. <laughs> I don't remember particular mm-hmm. things about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was 20 years ago, and I'm 78 years old, so I'm, you know... I don't remember things as well as I used That's to. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. What well, about- well, well, I think we, we can just tell you then uh, it's a uh, it's a pure genius of an episode. That's and the, yeah. and the timing. The timing is <laughs> is superb, and and I feel like all the cuts for timing are amazing, and um, there's just a lot of a lot of things in that episode as well. It's just it's, well, it's a really you know, good they, one. Uh, Paul and, and Joe Fury, I don't know who else, uh, really made those time cuts because we were always long. Mm-hmm. Every show I've ever done anywhere in Hollywood comedy has always been long. Mm-hmm. We had to cut five minutes sure. maybe yeah. out of some of them. So, and, and it's appropriate that the writers do that mm-hmm. because they're the ones that wrote it and know what they were trying to do more than any of the rest of us. Mm-hmm. All of us have, actors have their jobs and the director has his job, but the writers have to carry it from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Sure. And that's the most important job in television, I think. I think writing. that might even be another reason that they have these very specific memories about writing the shows because those things were in their heads for so long. Oh, yeah. You know, you got to realize them. Great. I saw them, and, and a week later, I threw the script away because yeah. it was done. I was done with it. Yeah. No, that you makes know, sense. Like, that's because it's a real craft being a director in that sense. Well, these guys are thinking further ahead than I was. I was just waiting for the next script. Mm-hmm. They were writing it. Sure. You know, that's that's the hard part. I tell you, after writing a novel mm-hmm. and writing and starting a second one, that's the hard part. The writing is the hard part. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a pain in the ass. It's fun, though. It's a fun pain in the ass. Well, yeah, I enjoyed writing this book I wrote, but it was uh, not as much fun as they seem to have had because they had <laughs> a group of people doing it. You know, you're, you're right. writing a novel, you're there by yourself. Sure. Yeah. And these guys were in a room together. Yeah. Do you have any, maybe Wait. the... Uh, they kind of seemed like a like a family almost because there was a lot of writers that were the same um, around the same age and they were kind of young so they were kind of like oh it seems kind of like they were almost living there a little bit well yeah <laughs> well, they, because they worked such long hours yeah by the time we got the script we didn't have to work long hours yeah they worked well very done. hard and and yeah that's that's a tough job and and uh they do spend a lot of time, and every sh- comedy show I produced or directed worked on, uh, had to, we usually fed the writers three meals a day mm-hmm. because they're there working, of and, you know, and it's a lot cheaper to bring them food than to let them go. Sure, yeah, <laughs> yeah makes sense. <laughs> I love that you guys. At the end of the night, though, you got to come home and just. And just relax. Wait till next. That's pretty good. That's not too. They didn't. No. No. Of course (laughs) not. Do you? Maybe the better question is, and obviously, uh, you feel free to just uh, include or exclude whatever you want. But 
rather than stories about specific episodes or even specific characters, like about the people on the show, do you have any stories that you're that might be fun or exemplary of, of working behind the scenes on news radio? You know, maybe working with specific actors or writers or producers. Because it feels like the energy on that show was kind of insane. And well, yeah. Let's see. When we had time to sit around, we used to sit around uh, as a group, mm -hmm. the actors and some of the writers and me. Uh, and then sometimes after work, Phil and Maura and I would go out for a drink somewhere, mm -hmm. actual real drink like whiskey. <laughs> and some shows I've worked on, maybe a glass of wine somebody would have, but that mm -hmm. wasn't much, you know. So we had some actual drinkers on that show. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm not saying they were over drinkers, uh -huh, but, sure. right. but we, we could go out for a real drink somewhere. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of fun to do. Uh, was that not typical of TV shows or of other not shows? With, not with the shows I worked on. No. Occasionally on Seinfeld, we'd run over to Jerry's uh, Deli uh, on Ventura Boulevard mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and have something to eat and a glass of wine or something. But sure. We're not, we're not serious drinkers. What do you? What, what, what's the difference? What do you? What do you think? What, what's the difference between the news radio people and the Seinfeld people that made them? Yeah, alcohol maybe. Yeah, I don't know. It's just a. A lifestyle choice, I think. Yeah, you know? sure. That's all right. No problem with that. Uh, I ha I did recently speak with Michael Reisner, uh, who I hope to have on the show soon. Uh, he's He did have a really funny story, which I'll let him tell on the show at some point, but it did involve him just getting his ass chewed by Phil Hartman and then Phil Hartman calling up from what I'm assuming is maybe a meeting, uh, a bar meeting with yourself and, and just calling back and say, uh, you know, I'm sorry. And just like apologizing, just like, like, like a little kid, just like, Oh, I made a bit of a mistake. I'm, was it, was it one of those, did it, was it a cool off? Did you guys get to have these uh, cool offs together? Was it that stressful? No, no, no. Just, just a time to, just to be friendly. Yeah. I, I didn't find any real stress. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, no, I I wasn't stressed. That's good. I don't. I didn't notice any stress particularly mm -hmm. anywhere. Uh, it's it's which is odd to me. Was it because? It, well, compared to Seinfeld, because expectations were high. I mean it. I wanted to bring up you were you worked on the most successful sitcom of the '90s and then news radio, which is my favorite show. But that doesn't mean that it is as well remembered as Seinfeld. So, I mean, did was that in any way in your head, or you just was it just a job in terms of like I want I'll just do the best for both shows. It doesn't matter that I'm working on the most regarded and maybe one of the most poor. Well, Seinfeld wasn't the most regard, regarded at that time. I guess it's true. It took a while. Huh? You know, we were number one by the time I left. By the time you left, okay. But uh, we had, at the end of every season, the first three, four seasons, first three seasons at least, you know, Larry and Jerry and I would finish the last episode in editing or something, or, or post audio, and we'd say, well, we don't know if we're going to be here next year or not yet. Yeah. So, but finally we were. So no, there wasn't any of that kind of stuff. We just went to work and did the best job we could. Yeah. 
you can't tell what the network's going to do. The fortunate thing about Seinfeld, and I've said this before, uh, is that we were not part of the comedy department at NBC. Mm-hmm. We were part of the variety department because Jerry knew those people, and they're the ones that ask him to do the show. Interesting. Okay. So we were under variety, not comedy. If we had been under the comedy show, they would have screwed it up like they do every damn thing you're trying to do that's different. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. And not, yep. m- not less than twice they said to me in meetings with the Castle Rock executives, can't you make it look more like a sitcom? <laughs> and I would say, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd get a look from the Castle Rock executives. Oh, my God, you're talking to the network here. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to do what they want to do. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm, not, I'm surprised I got hired again by people at NBC. <laughs> <laughs> at least it was not the comedy division. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. The first time. Second right. time it was. But... Right. <laughs> uh, and I really do believe that we would not have lasted if we had not been with Variety. Wow. Because mm-hmm. uh, they didn't understand it. They said that to me. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I did either. Yeah. Why would I care if a guy's got a pink inside to his coat? You know. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that funny? But it was funny. And uh-huh. It was Larry David. Right. You know. And then on news radio, it was Paul and his group. They were funny, and they knew what was funny. They knew how to make it. I enjoyed doing each of those shows, uh, and uh, for, for different reasons. But uh, yeah, the news radio was was very good, very did pleasant. You, did you have to do any convincing of anybody when you first started working in comedy that hey, I know comedy? Is there? Is it just that they trust you can make? Nobody ever work? asked me if I went to college. Nobody ever asked me if I knew anything about comedy. Yeah. I just worked jobs and mm-hmm. as a production manager, then as a producer. And the first directing I did in Hollywood was when I was doing My Sister Sam. Wait a minute. I was a producer on yes. My Sister Sam. Uh-huh. And the director, they had a... The, the director was Ellen Falcon, and she was there all the time, but she got sick one week, and I directed an episode. And that was the first multi-camera episode in Hollywood I had directed. Okay. And then I went on to do a single-camera show with Mary Tyler Moore, and I was the producer, but I also directed on that series. And then, because of a guy I worked with at MTM, Fred Barron, he was working... Uh, and asked me to to uh, join that show, and I did. And mm-hmm. then he left, and I didn't. I can't tell if, if, if yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I, I was just uh, gonna say. Uh, so when you took over for that the episode of my my sister Sam, can you think back? Like, where did you have like butterflies? Were you like nervous the whole time because this is your first? No. You were just ready? I knew how to do I had done live television, for mm. God's sake. This was easy. I told like, <laughs> on Seinfeld one time, Keith Hernandez, uh, a baseball player, mm-hmm. had said how nervous he was, you know. Uh, and I said, 
Come on, man. We got do-overs here. If you make a mistake, I'll reshoot it. We'll get it. Don't even worry about it. He did a good job. You, you know, don't have do-overs in baseball, so you should have been okay. Well, he, he said he was more nervous doing this show than he was up to bat behind in the bottom of the ninth in a World Series. Oh, no. oh wow. Wow. <laughs> Well, I mean, they say Aww. the greatest fear is public speaking and then death. So maybe sitcoms Yeah, well, three? I think I that's true. <laughs> yeah, but then Fred Barron brought me over to Seinfeld, and then, and then uh, I went on from there, you know. I just And Jerry and Larry liked me. Fred left, uh, and I stayed on with them. And perhaps it turned out the way it did partly because I— they would say to me, can we do this? Can we do that? And and I wasn't having any budget constraints. I was the producer as well as the director. Okay, sure. From Castle Rock. And I said, boys, you write it. I'll shoot it. Mm-hmm. So that freed them up to do to write stuff that we started doing that sitcoms hadn't done before, mm-hmm. really. We did a, lot, a good bit of outside-the-studio single-camera work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think... Because Castle Rock was so generous, uh, and we didn't ever know we were, whether we were going to do another episode or not. Right. Uh, that really just went for it. Went for it. Did you have what were the what were the? I, I keep assuming that it's the reverse at News Radio. Did you have crazy budgetary constraints? What were you dealing with? Since it's a totally different. Situation? I was not the producer. Sure. I was only the director. I didn't worry about the budget. All right. Over there. Yeah. I was. I did worry about it on Seinfeld until after the first season. I think they just told me, "Ah, don't tell us anymore. Just do what you have to do." Yeah. So that was unusual, mm-hmm. and uh, I was grateful for that. Yeah. So I, news radio, it was just plopping down and, and getting it. But it's funny that to, to get a guy who's not quote unquote from the world of comedy to direct that much comedy. So I'm curious, like what. Again, I again I could be repeating myself, but if if you injected any flavor of your own into the show, or if that doesn't seem like your responsibility, uh, well, I think the way I staged and shot the shows was my stamp. Okay, mm. and, and uh, you know, I just uh, followed the recipe, the, the script, sure, and uh, tried to do the best I could to make it look as good as it could mm-hmm. it was about looks uh mm. i'm not i wasn't the writer uh, so i was trying to make the writing look as good as it could mm-hmm. make the actors look as good as they could did you like working with just one big panoramic set like that with not much with just the one central room or no well uh, that was fine mm-hmm. that was the way it was that's what that was about but, but it was you know we had dave's office and we had uh, the door. <laughs> yeah, we had the, the break room and we had the uh, radio station part mm-hmm. and all of that. So, no, that was several areas in anyway. Sure. Yeah, that's fine. I, I didn't mind that. Did uh, did you have any issues with the, the pillar next to the conference table? Because there's like talks about it uh, through the different writers and stuff and now the commentaries that. The pillar was sometimes there, sometimes not. But I used they to say, it. thank you, Jimmy Burrow. <laughs> you put that goddamn thing there to give us a foreground spot, but it really got in the way. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whenever that's framed, it feels like an episode of 
Barney Miller or something. It's, it's, it's so closed in and weird. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I'm sure Jimmy ordered that. Yeah? Yeah, well, it gives you some perspective and better pictures periodically. <laughs> Much of the time it gets in the way. Well, yeah, I have to do as many episodes as I did. Yeah. What if there's a running gag you could do where you put the pillar in a different spot in every, every episode? <laughs> <laughs> that would, that would, I thought about that. <laughs> Uh, I, I have to bring up the fact that I'm staring at a WNYX mug and I keep looking at it every few seconds mm. to make sure it's real. <laughs> um, it's real. Yeah, it's pretty great. I got a bathrobe, too. It says News Radio. Dude, nice. Oh, yeah. I love it. That's so good. <laughs> That's so wonderful. So are those the two things that you took from the show? And money. Well, yeah. Well, there we go. <laughs> I wouldn't doubt that. I wouldn't doubt that at all. <laughs> I am appalled to know that this is not a volunteer position. <laughs> this is not all true. Hey, look, I went from 40 cents an hour to whatever. Yeah, I think, I think you've, you've earned your keep on that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Do you, uh, you know, that's the funny thing, too, is uh, this, there are stories that start at a certain time. You said you started at fi- in 57. 1957. Yeah. So the only other person I've interviewed who started in TV around the same period was Jay Sandridge. And I know that he I started on I Love Lucy as a PA. But the way, the crazy, his, and I, that was for my other podcast, but his story starts with I walked onto the lot and said, Are you hiring? Like that, that, that it was that simple really, really makes me miss that time period that I never well, got. Well, yeah, because uh, not many of us knew what we were doing. Right. You know? And, and uh, where we shot, the, uh, the pilot was shot in the first four episodes of Seinfeld was. Uh, uh, on at Renmar, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what it's called now. It's different, but uh, on that stage, uh, uh, that's where we shot overseas. Mm-hmm. Uh, on that stage, and Carl Reiner came over one day. He was at Castle Rock mm-hmm. when we were doing Seinfeld there, and he said, "That's where we shot the Dick Van Dyke show before we moved to Arizona." Mm-hmm. Wow! So there's wow. some history over there. Mm-hmm. And Golden Girls was over there on the stage we used for oh, news radio. Man. See, I didn't know that. I didn't know, I didn't that. know that. That's either. awesome. Wow. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. And so there were really nice dressing rooms because they had them for the ladies That's on that perfect. show. Okay. And so our cast got to, to revel in that. Was it Renmar first? Or what was the order of the different studios you shot news radio on? Uh, I keep forgetting. Well, let's see. We were at KTLA. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sunset Gower? Yeah. Yeah? Uh, yeah, Sunset Gower. That was last, right? That so Renmar was the last one? Okay. Okay. Yeah, and that was the most comfortable. Mm-hmm. Because uh, there was a nice little patio area outside the stage where we could sit around and chat. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't a very busy lot, mm-hmm. you know. But it was Desilu originally. That's so great. Yeah. Uh, I don't think, I'm trying to remember if I've been there. I don't think I have. Uh, that, that's one of my favorite things about when people tell stories about, you know, the different stuff's been shot, where they're shooting something. Well, you new. know, the multi-camera comedy was invented there mm-hmm. by Desi. Yeah, I know. Thank you. That's so great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, well, first of all, this has been super, super fun. But before we go, I do want to make sure that you get to promote your book and anything else you want to promote. You're right. You're right. You're, you, you've written a book and you're writing another one. So and it sounds awesome. It sounds amazing. <laughs> Why don't you just tell people about it? Well, I have written a uh, a book 
kind of a takeoff on the old Hardy Boys. Uh, when I was a kid, I loved those books. So I have wondered what would happen if they were my age, 70 years old or more. And so I wrote a book called The Hardly Boys, uh, The Mystery of the Golden Goblet is the title of the book. And uh, the Hardly Boys, Tom and Billy, my brother's name is Bill and I'm Tom, mm -hmm. uh, Tom and Billy and their friend Whit uh, were kidnapped by a mad scientist. Um, uh, 50 years ago, and put into what he called cryogeriatric suspension, <laughs> which meant that their bodies aged at the appropriate rate, but their minds stayed those of 17, 16, 17-year-old boys. And they've just been released from captivity, and now they're 70-year-old men with the minds of 16-year-old boys, and they want to go back and finish high school, then go on to college and continue trying to learn to be a detective like their father. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's their adventures. And uh, I'm writing a second one now. And so that was fun. But um, we'll see if it sells. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I get a check for royalties sometimes for the book. Mm -hmm. it might be $6.28. Mm -hmm. You know, the royalties from news radio and Seinfeld are better. That's good. That was, that was my next question. Much I would better. hope so. Awesome. Much better. So it wasn't a bestseller. <laughs> Where can people it's find the book, actually? Probably Amazon. Amazon. Cool. All right. Good. I want that to be made in a movie franchise, though. I know. That I love be. this idea. That was really <laughs> funny. I love this idea. Um, well, th that's about it. Uh, Alan, uh, did you have anything you want to promote at the end of this episode? Uh, well, it's the holiday, so... Happy holidays. Uh, you just go uh, hey, contact me at uh, Alan Rickert, A-L-L-E-N-R-U-E-C-K-E-R-T.com. Also on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And Jason, you got anything to promote? Sure. Yeah, go to jasonclum.com <laughs> and see Alan and I in a drinking game every month, although probably not January. I see. I feel like we don't do them in January. It sh well, it should January. be if it's not. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Just do that. Jason Klom, K-L-A-M-M. Yes. And Tom, please come direct that show. Yeah, uh, please. Oh, boy. <laughs> sure. We could use it. Boy, boy. I'm kidding, Brad. We don't need... That's fine. I'm being good to my friends now. Jan, what do you want to promote? Um, do something nice for somebody you don't know. And somebody you do know. And happy winter, everybody. Sounds good. Well, there's only one thing left to say. Other than thank you, Tom, again. Thank you so, so much, much, Tom. Thank you. It was amazing. Thank you guys for listening. And catch, catch you later, later B-Cakes. <laughs> Dispatches from Fort Awesome, a news radio podcast, is part of the Stolen Dress Podcast Network. The show is hosted by Alan Rickard and Jason Klom, and our theme song was composed and performed by Michael Warden. Have questions? Call and leave us a voicemail at 646-801-WNYX or email us at freakzilla at scopenet.com. Please subscribe to Dispatches from Fort Awesome on iTunes, give us a five-star rating, and write us a review. It helps. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WNYX News Radio. Visit stolendress.com to listen to our other podcasts, watch videos, and imbibe freely of our multimedia content going back 15-plus years. Big day today, Dave. <laughs>